Okay, so if you've got a Bible, there's a few places that you're going to need to go to. Um, I would encourage you to begin to take notes for yourself. Not because it makes me feel good that you're making notes of what I have to say, uh, because you, you can make notes and then never look at them. It's, you know, it's, but there's something about just highlighting something. And maybe you've got your, your uh, electronic Bible with you and you can highlight a verse. You can actually add notes to it if you use version, and um, put things in for your benefit for you, that will do you good. So we're going to go to Psalm 1 first. And then we're going to go across, we jump across to Matthew 5. And then we're going to go down to Galatians and um, uh, Corinthians, 2, 2 Corinthians and 2 Peter. Those are the scriptures, scriptural places that I want to take you and I want to stir you this morning. So I'm going to pray because I think there is going to be room for you internally to push back to what I say to you this morning. You're going to be able to say, great, but that's not me. And I don't want you to do that. I want you to take a check. I want you to take not just a check up from the neck up. I don't just want you to think about your thinking. I want you to examine your lifestyle. And so we're starting today. This is the, the jumping off uh, um, talk it's the jumping. It's the start of a series that I'm not sure how long we'll take, um, but we'll we'll go where it goes. But I want to talk to you about lifestyle. I want to talk to you about your lifestyle, and ask you some questions that you can answer for yourself. But I want to look at the lifestyle of a follower compared to the lifestyle of a believer. I want to look at the lifestyle that Jesus models. That if we are a follower of Jesus then if we're his apprentice, which is a more accurate description of the role that we have, that what he does is what I should do. I was an apprentice. I know what it's like to be an apprentice. I also know how difficult it is when the person that you're following does things that you don't think are right. I've been there. And I've chosen... To slip away from working with this fitter, John, to work with this fitter, Ray, because John is making me feel uncomfortable because of the challenges that he's bringing to me about what I'm doing. So I'd rather work with Ray because he's fun. He's a laugh, and he's a good fitter, but he's fun. And he doesn't make me feel uncomfortable where John makes me feel uncomfortable. So I'm going to talk to you about this. Uh, we're going to talk to you about it. I'm going to invite other people to have a voice into this because it's not just me. But I want to. So this is a broad foundational thing. So I'm going to go into some scripture, and we're not going to dig very deep. It's going to be a little bit surface, but I'm going to ask some rhetorical questions for you to answer for you. Okay? Because I think maybe five times in the New Testament we are challenged to examine ourselves. Not just a checkup from the neck up, not just about what you think, not just about your theology, but about your practice. Okay? So we're, we're going to jump off into a series on lifestyle. We're going to go to Psalm 1, and I'm going to read it twice, but I'm going to read it in two translations because I want to compare and contrast in your thinking what you hear. So I'm going to read it in the NLT, then I'm going to read it in the Passion. So you might just want to sit and listen. That's okay. But then you might want to go and read them for yourself. And if you use version, you can put the two translations side by side. And you can look at them for yourself. So here we go. Oh, the joys of those who do not follow the advice of the wicked, or stand around with sinners, or join in with mockers, but they delight in the law of the Lord, meditating on it day and night. They are like trees planted along the riverbank, bearing fruit each season. Their leaves never wither, and they prosper in all they do. But not the wicked. They are like worthless chaff scattered by the wind. They will be condemned at the time of judgment. Sinners will have no place among the godly, for the Lord watches over the path of the godly. 
but the path of the wicked leads to destruction. Whoa. Interesting that in this psalm is the word meditate. I talked about this the other day. Meditate isn't just thinking. It's not just pausing. Mm. Mm. It means, in Hebrew, the word means to mutter, to utter, to ponder. It means to study, to study. It means to devise. It means to roar. It means to growl, to plot, and to plan. It means to develop a strategy about what you think so that it actually looks like something in the way that you live. It's not just thinking about it. It's not. But here it is. And uh, I find it fascinating. It's um, The passion starts the title of the Psalms. It says, poetry on fire. Poetry on fire. Words are great, but it needs to lead to practice. What delight comes to the one who follows God's ways? He won't walk in step with the wicked, nor share the sinner's ways, nor be found sitting in the scorner's seat. His pleasure and passion is remaining true to the word of I am. Meditating day and night in the true revelation of light. He will be standing firm like a flourishing tree planted by God's design. Deeply rooted by the brooks of bliss, bearing fruit in every season of his life. He is never dry, never fainting, ever blessed, ever prosperous. But how different are the wicked. All they are is dust in the wind, driven away to destruction. The wicked will not endure the day of judgment, for God will not defend them. Nothing they do will succeed or endure for long, for they have no part with those who walk in truth. But how different it is for the righteous. The Lord embraces their path as they move forward, while the way of the wicked leads to doom. I have a question. What path are you on? Whose way are you walking in? Rhetorical questions. Whose way are you walking in? Is it the Lord's way or is it your way? Is it Yahweh or your way? See what I did there with words? Yahweh, his way. Whose way are you walking in? You see, because... We can make choices. We can make choices. We've got three options, basically, as people. We've got three options as church. We've got three options as the bride of Christ. We can decline. We can decline. I read a statistic today that uh, only 4.6% of churches have children's work. 4.6. I'm not sure if it was a denominational survey. I'm not sure, so I won't mention a denomination, but, but it just was saying, and they had some other stats about, uh, the, it was just statistically, they are in decline. If it's the church, then we are in decline. Because if we don't have young people that we are, teaching and training, discipling, apprenticing, then listen, the Christian generation in your family finishes with you. It might have started with you, but it might be finishing with you. So we can choose to accept decline because it is an option. You don't have to do anything with what I'm going to talk to you about. You don't have to choose to say, count me in. You can say, I think I'm okay. I think I'm okay. I've done a checkup from the neck up and I think I'm okay. The problem is that you're thinking about 
that you're okay? Are you looking if you're okay? I did ask Carmela and, uh, uh, if you had that mirror that you did. Can you? They did some activity with the youth on fr- um, Friday evening, and it was just, I thought, oh my gosh, you need to have a look at this. It's really, really good. So we have a choice to decline. We have a choice to stagnate. We can stay where we are. We're not going to just slide away. We can, we're just going to hold the fort. And I, I want to say to you, has anybody offered you some stagnant water in the past? Have you ever been faced with the option of drinking water from a stagnant well or a pond? You, cho- you, you, you choose to not. Nobody wants to drink from stagnant pools. And if we're stagnant as people, nobody wants anything to do with you. Because you just look as though you're religious. You'll just have all these standards that are archaic because back... I can remember coming to Swansea and I had never heard anything like it in my life. I was gobsmacked. I was meeting people my age that were saying they'd never been to the cinema because they were taught that you go to the cinema at your peril because if Jesus comes again when you're in the cinema, he won't take you. It's an ungodly place. I was younger then. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I was in my late 30s when I was hearing that. Kamala, grab the mic. You see, when we look at ourselves, what do we see? And I'm going to just try and hold a mirror up to you today. And I did think about bringing a big mirror, and then I saw Kamala and what she was doing with the youth. And I thought, okay, God, you've got a plan. You're going ahead of me. You're working in our young people in our young people, that is a growing group of young people, not just growing in numbers, but they're growing spiritually because they're being led, they're being discipled, they're being apprenticed, they're watching and learning. So talk to us about what you did. So, um, you know, we're talking about this whole what do we see thing at the moment. Um, I wanted to talk to the kids about, well, the young people, about what do they see in themselves. So I had a discussion in the car on the way there and I asked upstairs sorry um i asked faith i was like what do you see what do your friends talk about themselves in school how do they talk about each other do they talk negatively do you ever hear your friends like build themselves up do you ever build yourself up and she's like no why would i we sat then in youth and i said to each other i was like what do you see in each other and it took them a good two minutes to stop the jokes first about what they see in each other, to then actually bring out the positive things they see. Mm, mm. And it was from the, oh, you're gobby, you're sassy. You make me laugh because you do this, you're an idiot. And I talked to them how it's so unnatural to talk about the positive we see in them. And that as a youth worker, I see my job title as to find the God-given gold in them. But they also need to be able to find the God-given gold in themselves. So we got the mirror out, and they had to come up look in the mirror, and just write one positive thing they see in themselves. Mm. Yeah, brilliant. So let me, let me read some of them. This is what they saw in themselves when they looked in the mirror. They saw inspirational. They saw nice, brave, good friend, caring, funny, capable of great things. Whoa. Because they're being challenged to, to have a checkup. Sporty. Kind-hearted, funny, kind, artistic, funny, smart. I've got to move because creative, friendly, grateful, positive, smart, funny, good friend, funny, caring, happy. These are all really, really positive attributes that they are being challenged to look at themselves and begin to speak it over themselves. So Carmela has a record. She has a record. Now, I know that Ellen has a, a mirror box that many of you have gazed into with great fear and trepidation. I used to love the fact that some people would hate to walk into Ellen's office because the mirror box was on her desk. And they, they might be challenged. Thanks, Carmela. Thank you. That's brilliant. Brilliant. But just encourage Carmela with what she's doing with our young people. Can you? Oh, do I have to look in that mirror as I'm talking to this lot now? I keep seeing myself. Can we, can we turn it around? I, I see my waistline. 
can't see my head. So we have, we have a, a choice to decline. We can do nothing. That's fine. We can do nothing. Just go into decline and just say, okay, well, one day I won't be here. I'll be in heaven. That'll be fine. Doesn't really matter. Or we can say, well, let's just hold fort and let's just keep the few together. Let's not let anybody slip away. Let's just keep on being us and we're in this together and that's it. And we just begin to stagnate because we just look in all the time. Or, or we can choose renewal. And renewal begins with taking a checkup of our soul, looking at who we really are. Not what the world says I am, not what my life partner tells me I am, not what my best friend tells me that I am, but what do I hear Holy Spirit telling me I am? And how do I hear that? Well, I have to look at Scripture. I can spend time in prayer and listen for His Word, but if we look at Scripture, we'll find that He speaks over us all the time about who we are in Him, all the time. So we've got these choices, decline, stagnation, or renewal. And renewal, for me, is the only option. I do not want to stay where I am. That doesn't mean to say I'm dissatisfied with being here, but I'm anticipating more. I'm anticipating fruit. I'm anticipating his kingdom coming. I'm anticipating people's eyes being opened, people giving their lives to Jesus not because of a church service, but because of an encounter with the risen Lord. That's me. I'm, I'm up for renewal. I'm up for renewal. Um, I'm going to give you an invitation. If you are like me in that, I have given my life to Jesus. I haven't just given a particular part of my life, all that I am is his. And it costs. And it's a challenge. But it is the most exhilarating life. It's harem scarum sometimes. Sometimes I don't know which way's up. Sometimes I don't know if the ends are going to meet. But I know that my God's arms are not short. My God's arms are not too short. That's scriptural. His arm is not too short to reach. His arms will span the gaps where my faith feels really, 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 really stretched. But he will hold me. He will hold me. And he is looking, I think, to birth a renewal in the hearts of his people. I really do. Because... Decline is what the world sees. Stagnation is what the church experiences. But it, God's plan is renewal. God's plan is renewal. Um, I'm fired by books. I like to read um, and I mark my books. Um, I interact with what I'm reading. And, um, and so this book, uh, I was using these little stickies and then suddenly I found some highlighters <laughs> and uh, I began to, oh, I found different color highlighters and I began to go to work as I was meditating and thinking and planning and plotting. What does it look like for me to be a person who truly is a disciple of Jesus? What does it look like? And this book is called, well, I've worked it so much, the, the cover's fading. It's called The Reappearing Church and it's by a guy called Mark Sayers. And I'm going to give you an invitation. Uh, that maybe not many people will take up. But if you want to buy this book this week and then meet with me, I'm going to do a daytime meeting and an evening meeting for whoever says, I'm up to be renewed. I'm up to play my part. I'm up for this. I do not. I'm not happy with decline. I'm not settling for stagnation. I want renewal. And it starts in here. Starts in here. Is this open to you? It's open to anybody. Anybody. Anybody who wants to get the book. And reappearing church, Mark Sayers. Okay, ISBN number. No, I'm not going to do that. Um, you can come and have a look at it if you want to. Um, let me read to you what it says on the back. What if, 
What looks like decline in the church is actually the beginning of a spiritual reawakening. For decades, we set our hopes on technology, politics, and the appearance of peace. We wanted to believe we were heading somewhere better. That progress was happening. But now, as our technology ensnares and isolates us, our politics threaten to tear us apart, and our culture decline, uh, cultural decline continues to accelerate, people are understandably distressed. But throughout history, these periods of decline traditionally precede powerful spiritual renewals and even revivals. What if all the bad news in the world is actually good news for the church? Discover why these reasons to be wildly hopeful are now and how to prepare yourself and your church to be part of renewal now and in the future. It's not a book that we will read and then talk about the book. The book is just a, a starting place. Each chapter, each week, there'll be an, it'll be an hour long where each of us in the group will be asked to prepare a 10 to 15 minute presentation of what they've read that week and then we'll spin the bottle and whoever the bottle points to will give their 10 to 15 minute presentation, their thoughts. It's going to rattle your cage. It's going to push you out of the boat. It's going to cause you to actually be an apprentice to Jesus. And, it's, and I don't think everybody that starts is going to finish personally, because I think the, the, the ask is very high. I mean, it's just an hour a week for 13 weeks. It's not, this isn't the, the challenge. It's him in us. You see, because God is wanting to bring about renewal in his bride. All this book is doing for me, it's getting me to see something, and I'm thinking, oh my gosh, I know that. Oh my gosh, I understand that now. Oh my gosh, I need to deal with that. Oh my goodness. And when we do it in fellowship, when we do it as a group, because, anyway, I'll stop talking about it. I'll talk about it some other time. Holy Spirit. Okay, come with me to Matthew. We're going to journey through the Sermon on the Mount over the coming weeks. Um, so, I, But I just want to dip into the beginning where he, uh, Jesus... Um, gives us what is called the Beatitudes. He just lays out some lifestyle principles that are kingdom-focused, manifested by kingdom people. Okay? Because uh, I, I just want to say what you, your input, your input always determines your output. Your input always dictates your output. Good in, good out. No good in, no good out. Okay? Let's take a zero, uh, a zero. Let's take a, a naught uh, uh, off. God in, God out. No God in, no God out. And all I'm doing is taking away, oh. 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 So let's look very quickly. I'm going to kick off in verse 3. I'm going to, I want to do the same as well. Let me, let me read it to you from the Passion. What happiness comes to you when you, feel, when you feel your spiritual poverty? For theirs is the realm of heaven's kingdom. What delight comes to you when you wait upon the Lord? For you will find what you long for. What blessing comes to you when gentleness lives in you? For you will inherit the earth. How enriched you are when you crave righteousness. For you will be surrounded with fruitfulness. How satisfied you are when you demonstrate tender mercy. Your tender mercy will dem be demonstrated to you. What bliss you experience when your heart is pure. For then your eyes will open to see more and more of God. How joyful you are when you make peace. For then you will be recognized as true children of God. How enriched you are when you bear the wounds 
of being persecuted for doing what is right. For that is when you experience the realm of heaven's kingdom. How ecstatic you can be when people insult and persecute you and speak all kinds of cruel lies about you because of your love for me. So leap for joy since your heavenly reward is great for you are being rejected the same way the prophets were before you. Your lives are like salt among the people. And it goes on and we'll explore that in the weeks to come as we explore Jesus' words. These are his words. Let me come back to you. God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him. It's realization. It's a self-examination. <gasps> I, I need his forgiveness. <gasps> oh my gosh, I need his guidance. <gasps> I, need, I need his grace. <gasps> I need mercy. blessed are you when you realize when you realize because you've examined you haven't just done a checkup from the neck up you've examined your life your walk your decisions your choices blessed are you when you realize how really poor you are without him because you gain the kingdom you become an heir to the kingdom blessed God blesses those who mourn He comforts those who mourn. To mourn means to feel, uh, it means felt sorrow. Felt sorrow when a personal hope dies. It's why when there is true repentance, often there should be and there will be tears because you realize that without him, my hope is dead. I cannot be the man that I am called to be by God. Oh my gosh, oh my gosh, I am distraught. God, please forgive me that my sin would separate me from you. Please. And he says, I'm going to comfort you. I'm going to comfort you. It's not just those who are kind of, oh, who are upset that they've been caught out. It's those who truly are mournful that their sin took... Him to a cross. Whoa, 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 whoa. God blesses those who are humble. They gain the whole earth. There is something attractive about humility that gives you influence way beyond your horizon. We're going to unpack these. So I'm resisting talking to you about all of these. God blesses those who hunger and thirst for justice. They will be satisfied. It is wrong. It's wrong that people are hungry in our community. It's wrong that people don't have enough to get by. It's wrong that there aren't enough opportunities for jobs in our community. It's wrong that children have no hope. It's wrong that children are in broken families. It's wrong that men abuse women. It's wrong that women abuse men. It's wrong. It's wrong. And there should be a sense of justice in us. And God says, I'll satisfy that. I can make a way where there doesn't seem to be a way. Oh, man, alive. (laughs) Just on one side of my notes. I got loads. Oh, God blesses those who are merciful. You reap what you sow. And we are so quick to be merciless. Carmela said to the children, what do you see? Oh, yeah, merciless. They can be merciless. Time and time again, we have spoken with just our grandchildren, but with Kate, with James, not so much, but with Kate, mercilessly persecuted in school. Mercilessly. But when we are merciful, we change the atmosphere. When we choose to speak life, not death. When we choose to say what we really see. And not just say something that's nice, but we say, actually, I see this in you. 
and I choose to build you up, not tear you down. I choose to speak life over you. I choose. You receive mercy. God blesses those whose hearts are pure. It says that they will see God, but it also says in this other translation, in the Passion, that they will be seen as children of God. They will be seen as followers of God. Who are they? Those with pure hearts. Doesn't mean doesn't say perfect life. It says pure heart. It says pure heart. And if your heart is pure, you will be seen as outstanding. You'll be seen not as excellent and perfect, but outstanding. Slightly different. You're living above your pay grade. Because you've glimpsed him. And you've glimpsed the fact that he's a loving God and a saving savior. And suddenly you choose a different lifestyle. God blesses those who work for peace. God blesses those who are persecuted for doing what is right. Heaven, the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses you when people mock you and persecute you and lie about you and say all sorts of evil things against you because you are my followers. Be happy about it. Be happy about it because there is a reward. There's a reward. There is an end that, that is better than the beginning. There's a reward. And it's down to your choice. Now let me give you some pictures from uh, Sayer's book of the five categories that you can put yourself in. Okay? So this is a self-examination moment. This is you taking a checkup, not just from the neck up. Okay, but you need to have your ears open. And I want to suggest that instinctively there will be rebellion in you to what is true. You will not want to be really brutally truthful with yourself. Or maybe I'm just the only one that thinks like that. (laughs) Maybe all of you will go, oh yeah, that's definitely me. And you will just kind of sail on and you won't get kind of bushwhacked like I have been. So five areas that we need to just examine, take, and take a moment and examine ourselves. Do I fit into this category? Where am I? Dead orthodoxy. Orthodoxy is just the, ex, uh, the uh, accepted theory of Christianity. Okay, The pattern is that you believe that Jesus is the Son of God, died and rose again right, to save you from sin. Okay, that, the pattern of true Christianity, what it really is. Okay? Dead orthodoxy, this is what it, uh, it's doctrine and practice orthodoxy. So it's what you think and it's what you do, okay? When true, this is dead orthodoxy, when true biblical faith is affirmed with a word, with our words and thoughts, but the heart remains stagnant and unchanged. Doctrine in biblical, is biblical, but in Lifestyle is dead. Your doctrine is right, but your lifestyle wouldn't show anybody that you believe anything at all about being a follower of Christ. It's completely dead. All right? And you are thinking the right things, and you're doing the right things, but it's dead. It's dead. Cold orthodoxy. Correct biblical faith and doctrine are held, yeah, However, lifestyle is formed on memory of past moves of God. We always meet at 10.30 on a Sunday, and any other time of church meeting is unbiblical. And it has to be 7.30 midweek. If it's a true Holy Ghost encounter moment, it has to be that time. And evenings, Sunday evenings, 6 o'clock, hallowed. It's really, really important. Why? Because that's when the milkmaids finish their evening milking and can get to church. (laughs) I don't know any milkmaids or milkmen. Actually, I do know some milkmen, but they don't milk the cows. Oh, actually, I do, actually, Simon. (laughs) But, But if we formed 
the pattern of our existence as a church based on what was done generations before us. It's cold. It's irrelevant to community. Community's moved on. Culture has transformed and is different. You know, if I was, if I was living in cold orthodoxy, for me, I, I would be wearing a suit and tie right now. And I wouldn't have an iPad. I have a big black Bible. And when I read it, you'd all have to stand up. Now, there's nothing wrong with wearing a suit and tie. I, I sometimes like it. There's nothing wrong with honoring the word of God. But if we did it by rote, if we just did it because it's what we've always done. Let me tell you a funny story. Um, this little girl was being taught by her mum how to cook turkey for Christmas. And uh, so the, the mum says to the little girl, this is what we do. We need to make sure it's, it's kind of fresh and blah, 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 blah. And we cut the legs off. And so the little girl is looking and she's saying, mummy, why do we cut the legs off? Oh, we always cut the legs off. Yeah, but why, mummy? Do we cut the legs off the turkey? I don't understand. Because the mum had taken the legs off the turkey and put them in a separate dish. And she said, uh, I don't, well, it was the way I was taught. It was the way I was taught. Grandma taught me how to cook a turkey, and uh, I was taught that you always cut the legs off. But why? Well, I'll tell you what. Look, why don't we, next time we're with Grandma, why don't we ask her why you cut the legs off the turkey when you're cooking the turkey? <laughs> and so the next time they were Grandma, uh, they said, Grandma, Grandma, please, would you tell us, why do you cut the legs off the turkey? She said, well, uh, when you were little... Uh, the turkey would never fit in the oven. <laughs> so I'd always have to cut the legs off to get it in. See, we can do things that in that moment were right, but now they're completely irrelevant. We lose sight of it. Cold orthodoxy. Little vitality exists in daily spiritual life. Then there's cultural Christianity. This is a challenge for me. Uh, It's when Christianity is inherited and affirmed as a cultural identity rather than a lived personal faith. Certain Christian practices enacted to maintain identity, cultural values are mixed with faith blurring the lifestyle. Let me just go over that again just so it kind of maybe gives you room to think when christianity is inherited and affirmed as a cultural identity rather than a lived personal faith i've always gone to church on sunday it's what me and my family do it's what i do i go get it over and done with and then i'm right with the week i had a lady say to me in that kitchen many years ago now i only come to church until my daughter is 18. Because when she's 18, she'll be safe spiritually and I'll be able to not come to church anymore. What is that about? What? Where do you read that? that my duty as a parent is just to get my daughter to 18 and then my hands are off and I don't have to be spiritual anymore. I'm just pretending, just trying to fit in so that she gets some cultural input of what Christianity is like. Let me tell you, it didn't work. It didn't work for anybody in that family because it was cultural Christianity, and it breaks my heart. Vital Christianity. We're coming up from the depths of depression. Now we're going to begin to climb. We're going to begin to find you, all right? Hopefully, if you haven't already identified yourself. (laughs) Vital Christianity. Correct biblical faith and doctrine is affirmed alongside a healthy spiritual lifestyle. This is vital Christianity. It's correct biblical faith and doctrine, you understand a little bit of the Bible, not all of the Bible, but you understand it, and you affirm it in your lifestyle choices, and you have a healthy spiritual life. And then there's hot orthodoxy. I like this one, hot orthodoxy. This is correct biblical faith and doctrine flowing out of a vibrant spiritual lifestyle. God moves powerfully. Truth and presence are ever present. People live powerfully vibrant lifestyles. Here are five, five 
Do the last one again. You can take a photograph if, if you want the notes. But f- biblical, correct biblical faith and doctrine. This is hot orthodoxy. Correct biblical faith and doctrine flowing out of a vibrant spiritual lifestyle. A vibrant. Can you picture a vibrant spiritual lifestyle? Your prayer isn't confined to a meeting. Your prayer is... is full of his presence. God moves powerfully. Truth and presence are ever present. People live powerfully vibrant lifestyles when they have hot orthodoxy, hot practice, hot understanding of who he is and what he says. Because they don't just read it, they choose to live what he says you can live. The problem is, you will say, some of that is not appropriate for me. I'm going to, with Ellen's permission, I'm going to tell you a story of this week. We have laughed about this uh, like a pair of little children, because it was so funny to me. Uh, We were having um, a hot conversation, and I don't mean hot, like, I mean, it was a bit fiery, okay? It was a little bit, you know, we weren't arguing full blown, but we were just, we were just, we are kind of two A-type personalities, and we have robust conversation, and we're both comfortable with each other in that, and and so uh, Ellen said something, and I thought, that's completely inappropriate. Um, she wasn't swearing or anything like that, all right? Um, I could have labeled that a little bit. But she, she said something, and I, I said, Ellen, that's, that's really not appropriate for you to say that, okay? And Ellen's comeback was, well, it's appropriate to me, and flounced off, all right? And, and so I'm left chuckling to myself, saying down the corridor, if a policeman had caught you in something and told you that your behavior was inappropriate, you would not get away with telling him, well, it was appropriate to me. <laughs> the law is still the law. <laughs> and, and the problem is that we have this approach to our faith. We have this approach to following Christ. Well, it's not appropriate to me, Jesus, that I should do that. That's not appropriate for me. I'm not, I don't need that. I, I don't need that in my life. And we, we say, we duck and dive. And we say, I'm looking at me. But it's not really, you're not really talking to me, Bill. It's not appropriate for me that you challenge me to take a check up from the head down as well as from the neck up. It's for, oh, I know who he's talking to. <gasps> yeah, that. Ooh, yes. It's all about them, not about me. It's not appropriate for me. To take a checkup. Well, I'm telling you, according to Scripture, it is appropriate for you to take a checkup. It is appropriate for me because I am accountable and I have really wrestled with how do I do this with integrity and not hurt you and not offend you and not make you feel kind of got at. But then I come to the Scriptures that tell me that I am going to be answerable for what I do with you and how I steward my responsibility for you, with you. How do I pray for you? How do I lead you? Can you look at my life? I'm challenged with my position of responsibility, but I am blessed with the opportunity. And I take my responsibility seriously because I want double pay. (laughs) No, I know. It would just be nice from time to time. Not to get double pay. I'm, I'm joking, all right? Don't be too serious now. Okay? Just trying to lighten the load for you. But I have a responsibility. And my responsibility is not to make you a better follower of Christ. It's to teach you how you can be a better follower of Christ through your choice so that you don't decline, so that you're not stagnating, that you are being renewed every day in your spiritual journey with Christ, following him day by day, building yourself up in your faith, building yourself up so that your children can see something of Christ in you. Whoa. 
so that your neighbors can see something of Christ in you, so that your colleagues in work will see something of Christ in you. Not just religiousness in you, so they just go, ooh, 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 you go to church, I bet not swear. But they might say, I've got a real pressure in my life, I don't know what to do, and I know I I trust you. You seem to be kind, and you seem to always have some wisdom that I don't know where it comes from, but can you help me? Whoa, that's what you should look like. See, Galatians, I'm, re- I'm reading Galatians 6, 1 to 5, and I'm reading it from the FBVNT Psalms Bible. <laughs> That's serious. It's a new translation in new version, and it made me laugh because the, the, it's like, you know, you've got the NLT, the NIV, the Amplify, AMP, and then you've got this, this <laughs> I've got to read it. It's, it's FBVNT with Psalms. It just means the free Bible version, and Psalms. But it's just a really interesting translation. It's just new in you version. It says this, Galatians 6, 1 to 5. My friends, if someone is led astray by sin, you, are, you who are spiritual, spiritual should bring them back with a gentle spirit. Watch out that you don't get tempted to. Carry each other's burdens, for in this way you Fulfill the law of Christ. Those who think they're really something when they're actually nothing only fool themselves. Carefully examine your actions. Carefully examine your actions. Then you can be satisfied with yourself without comparing yourself to anyone else. You, sorry, we have to take responsibility for ourselves. We have to take responsibility for ourselves. Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 13, 5 just says this. Examine yourself to see if your faith is genuine. Test yourself. Test yourself. And then 2 Peter. 2 Peter 3, 1, 3 to 10. 3 to 11 actually. Everything we could ever need for life and godliness has already been deposited in us by his divine power. For all this was lavished upon upon us through the rich experience of knowing him who has called us by name and invited us to come to him through a glorious manifestation of his goodness. As a result of this, he has given you magnificent promises. We've been singing, all your promises are yes and amen that are beyond all price, so that through the power of these tremendous promises, you can experience partnership with the divine nature by which you have escaped the corrupt desires that are of the world. So devote yourself to lavishly supplementing your faith with goodness. To your goodness adds understanding. To understanding add the strength of self-control. To self-control add patient endurance. To patient endurance add godliness. To godliness add mercy towards your brothers and sisters. And to, mer- and to mercy towards others add unending love. Since these virtues are already planted deep within you. Remember Psalm 1? Planted by the river. Planted. God has planted in you. And you've been planted by him. Since these virtues are already planted deep within and you possess them in abundant supply, they will keep you from being inactive or fruitless in your pursuit of knowing Jesus Christ more intimately. But if anyone lacks these things, he is blind, consistently, uh, constantly closing his eyes to the mysteries of our faith and forgetting his inheritance for his past sins have been washed away. For this reason, beloved ones, be eager to confirm and validate that God has invited you to salvation and claimed you as his own. If you do these things, if you do these things, if you, don't, it's not, if you believe these things, it's if you do these things, you will never stumble. As a result, the kingdom's gates will open wide to you as God choreographs your triumphal entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior. 
you need to read it for yourself, but it's because I read that quickly. But there is a passage there that is lifestyle orientated. Uh, time is gone. I want to break bread. I want you to come and take the bread and the wine. But I want to say this. Jesus outlines the primary attributes of people who receive the rule of the kingdom and he brings out nine direct references to kingdom lifestyle in the Sermon on the Mount. And we're going to look at those in the coming weeks. Okay? But he is hoping for kingly qualities of love, life, and character to be seen in you, modeled by you. And we need Holy Spirit to help us. Because you can be really religious and you can do the things that you've always done that have kept you out of scrapes and kept you away from sin. You can be honest with yourself and say that you've followed Christ as long as it's appropriate to you. And that what he says in his word fits when it fits. And you can be honest. Well, you should. You need to be honest because he knows your heart. And he's after your heart to be wholly his. And he says, if you trust me with your life, I plan to bless you. We read it in Malachi. I plan to bless you, not just because you put money in an offering. I plan to bless you because you are choosing to live your life in line with my plan for my glory to fill the earth. And God is looking to raise a remnant. Can he count you in? Are you one? Will you keep short accounts? As we break bread together, will you renew your commitment to him? Will you start again today? Will you say, I'm sorry for my lifestyle choices that have kept me on the edge? I haven't been totally in sin, but I've been flirting. I've been allowing the world's culture to influence my lifestyle choices rather than kingdom culture to influence my lifestyle choices. I want to I start again. I want to take a step in your direction, God. I want to move away from what is nice, tempting, and I want to choose what is best for me to give you what is rightfully yours. Honor, worship, modeled through obedience. And then who are you discipling? Are your kids mini-me's? Are they like little ones of you? They are. They are. I remember telling a story and Julie was in the congregation and Tim was in the congregation and I told a story about how I taught James as a little boy how when he was getting undressed uh, I'd modeled it for him that you can take your underpants off and with a flick you can catch him on your head (laughs) as you're getting ready for bed. And I taught him And with great pride, he could do that. And I think he still can, uh, but I haven't asked him. And and I used it as an illustration that we model, you know, what we teach our kids, you know, becomes their skill and talent and pattern. And then uh, Julie came to me one day and she said, you and your blimmin' illustrations, you, you you nearly burnt my house down. Pardon me? What do you mean? What do you mean? She said, I went into Tim's bedroom and I could smell burning. And I thought he'd been playing with matches. And I was giving him a bit of a rocket. And he said, I haven't been playing with matches. I haven't been playing with matches. Honestly, mum, honestly. And she said, I could smell burning. And I looked around, looked around. And eventually I discovered his underpants in the lamp's shade. Because she had one of those upside down lampshades. And he'd flicked his underpants, trying to catch him on his head. And they'd gone in the lampshade. And they were smouldering on the light bulb. And then she gave me a rocket. So listen, it's an illustration, all right? That's all. Don't, don't, don't go, don't go yeah. Do what I say, don't do what I do. You know what I mean? But, but listen, our kids will model us. And if you want your kids just to get through to their 18 and attend church till they're 18 and then do their own thing because your responsibility is over, well, I want to say, wake up. Read your Bible. You have a duty of care over your children until they are married. And even then, it doesn't blink and stop. 
But seriously, you have a biblical jurisdiction over the lifestyle choices of your children. Do not let them dictate to you. You dictate to them with love and grace, in peace and with mercy. And you can save them. And I don't mean like Jesus saves them, but you can save them so that he can save them. So there's bread and wine. Oh, look, we've got fresh bread and it's in a wrapper. We're going to take that off. We're going to bring the bread and wine down here. And I want you to pause and to reflect and to take a look at yourself. Take a look at yourself. Truly examine yourself. Truly. Not just from the neck up, what do you think, but what do you practice? Are you discernible as a disciple? Martin, look up. (laughs) (laughs) I know some of you hate looking in mirrors. I remember hearing that somebody didn't have a mirror in their bathroom because they just just detested looking at themselves. But I want to say, you know, to be a follower of Christ, you need to look at yourself in truth and really ask yourself, what do I see? Do I see a half-hearted, lukewarm follower of Christ? Do I see somebody that just gives a nod to Scripture? Or do I see somebody that is full of passion for his purpose, and that when he saved me, he got all of me. Not a conditional followership, but a sacrificial followership. What did he get in you? Ask yourself. I don't want to leave you in a bad state. I want you to know that there is renewal, and it starts in a moment where you say, I'm sorry, forgive me, you died for me, I accept that, and I'm starting again. And then we begin to journey together how we can stir the fire in each other, how we can provoke and encourage and support and care for each other, that we can carry each other's burdens. But it's a choice. You can stay remote and stay critical, or you can press in and become passionate. And it's not to a group, it's to the king. Okay, And it starts here. Let me just say, my goal, my goal is to make sure you accomplish your goal, that you get to heaven. Seriously. People are dying left, right, and center in our community. There's a waiting list to be sorted at the creme because people are dying and some people think they think they're okay but nobody's ever challenged them to have a checkup spiritual checkup they've done the right things they've gone to church they've gone to church they've gone to church but they never surrendered their life and their will to him it's been conditional That was never appropriate to me. And I want to say, please examine yourself. Please check. And take a moment. And maybe you have. But I'm going to ask you to come for you. Come for you. I mean, husbands and wives, you can break bread together. Absolutely. I'm not telling you you can't do that. But I want to say, come for you. Come for you. When you're ready. I'm going to break the bread and I'm going to sit down. And you can come and get for yourself symbols of his sacrifice that are for you. And you can say, Jesus, wherever I am, even if I'm hot, I'm starting afresh. Because can I be hotter? Can I be more intentional? If I'm cold, I want to be hot. I don't want to be anywhere in the middle. I don't want the culture to influence my standards, my lifestyle choices. I want your kingdom to influence me. So in Jesus' name, we break this bread that symbolizes his body given for us. That his death and resurrection 
make a way where there wasn't a way. Mm. This bread smells delicious because it's fresh. And there's something about a fresh start that changes our very fragrance in the company of the people that we live with, in the culture that we inhabit. We can shape and flavor our community, our families, our places of work by simple obedience. So, Father, we say thank you for Jesus. Thank you that his blood gives us life because it washes away our sin. That we can surrender our lives and say, Jesus, thank you. Can I follow you? Can I walk with you with this life? And will you teach me how to give you glory at a new level, in a new way, in Jesus' name? So I invite you, when you're ready, please come.